Welcome to our studio room. This is our current coat rack. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Just hang a tiny. Like you like it? <laughs> We're trying. Okay. All right. Sorry. I'll start. What? Is it okay this way? Yeah. All right. Welcome to In the Act, a radio program on process and the creative life. Creativity does not just start and stop with artists. We all make aesthetic or guiding decisions. Our aim is to talk through the process and investigate how we choose to express ourselves and live creatively. We're connecting with people about their lives, and that's the subject of our show. Broadcasting from Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, I am Erica Hunsinger, and this is In the Act. And today's guest on In the Act is Andre Walton. Hey, thanks for having <laughs> me. I'm really glad to be here. Yay. Um, and Andre, um, quick intro, was born in Milwaukee mm -hmm. and lived in Seattle for a while mm -hmm. and came back to, came to Sheboygan and now calls this place home yeah. and is... Um, Oh my gosh, you have like a list of things. Yeah, yeah. Political activist, executive director of Our Wisconsin Revolution, which is a non-for-profit, um, Mead Public Library Board of Trustees, and alder person for the city of Sheboygan, 10th District. Mm -hmm. So, Quite a few things on there. But. You, yeah. <laughs> and you just came from talking with some students about um, political activism, is that right? No, I was I was mainly focusing on affordable housing. So oh. it was a really cool conversation because a lot of these um, kids, which I found out, actually live in uh, some of the affordable housing that we offer here. And, and I was very surprised to see that they had very engaging questions, especially around like the, the condition of affordable housing, uh, what goes into it and one of the biggest questions that I continue to have and that they have, which yeah. I was glad to see that they had, was what is considered affordable? Uh, because sure. there's one thing when U.S. governments or people who probably never had to live in affordable housing say what they think is affordable compared to the people who actually live in affordable housing. So right. it was really great to talk to those uh, those those kids in middle school and, and, and really see how engaged they were and, and, and encouraged to see that they want to improve their lives at yeah. a very early age. Like I was talking to you earlier, how all I cared about at that age was basketball and Call of Duty. So <laughs> right. it, it was it was great to go and speak with them. That's awesome. That's mm -hmm. so wonderful. Um, and I I love the you know the when when people from the community can come in and talk to our students and connect with them mm -hmm. about things that are real life. Um, important that they see and witness and experience every day. Mm -hmm. So important. So yeah, yeah. And I think the nice thing about it is like I don't really have a political background, or I'm not a politician. Well, I, I guess I am now, but <laughs> I think it was kind of new for them because I didn't give them like the political speak. I was like, I was telling them exactly like what it is and how I feel and my background. Uh, yeah. Because a lot of people don't know this, but. Um, the reason why I'm very passionate about affordable housing is because I grew up um, in, in uh, rent-assisted living mm -hmm. in, in some areas in my childhood and also grew up in a few shelters. So for me, it's not about just saying we need it. It's about actually giving back to the community and make sure that 
kids don't necessarily have to go through the experience that I have to go through because it's not necessarily bad that people go through those experiences. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that um, the social, um, it's usually the social embarrassment that kids have to go through when they know that they don't have what other kids may have, stable housing or a home to go to at the end of the day. Absolutely. Um, and a lot of the times when you live in, in shelters, you don't control your food, you don't control your lifestyle. So you feel different. You don't feel in place. So for me, yeah. making sure that people all have adequate, affordable housing to go to and know where to find the resources is huge because I didn't have that growing up. We just right. we just hoped for the best and, and hoped that things will work out in the end. And if I can prevent maybe a few people and impact in those ways, it would it'd be huge for me. Absolutely. I mean, that's a basic, it's such a basic fundamental human need is shelter mm -hmm. um, and the experience of feeling safe and um, and held in uh, to grow up in ways that you can predict. Mm -hmm. And unpredictability and that inconsistency really does affect how you can manage doing a math homework, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, at school or, um, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know I did not want to focus on homework when I had to kind of go back to a shelter at night. It's like, well, what's the point of this? Exactly. If if sure. This is my life and this was always going to be. It really does shape your perception on life. Um, but I think, you know, um, what got me through it is, you know, talking to people who are in a position to show that things can get better. Yes. Um, yeah. And instead of having that encouragement that uh, this isn't the end game. Yeah. It's, it's just, you're not, you haven't even started your life, but. Right. And um, there needs to have that full circle, like mm -hmm. be brave enough to share your experience. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that's so hard to do mm -hmm. in general. Cause I think there's so much shame yeah. around things that aren't necessarily right for yourself, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then to be heard or seen and acknowledged and mm -hmm. then find help and have that sort of like be that cycle yeah. to support and move forward. Right. That and, engagement. And, and yeah, I mean, for a long time, I wouldn't talk about it because it was a sense of shame. But what I realized after I got older is that when you talk about it, you learn that you're not a unique experience. Yeah. So many more people have been impacted by this experience as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. And when you talk about it, more other people are willing to talk about it. And that's how you start to address the issue. When Absolutely. More people are having conversations and staying quiet about it is actually doing a disservice to the issue. Yes. Um, so for me, it's not because I'm like, I'm not necessarily proud of it, but I think it needs to be discussed because this is how we impact um housing in America is we talk about those experiences and what effects it had on the youth. And, and I wasn't by myself. Luckily, uh, it was my brothers uh, with me in these experiences and my parents, yeah. but you know, everybody has a different impact on it. Parents feel shame mm -hmm. because they don't, they can't, uh, um, they can't provide right. children feel shame because they're not living up to social standards of their, their peers. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's nothing to be ashamed about. Mm -hmm. um, the only shame that we should feel is that we should feel shamed about it, uh, in my opinion. But I don't think we should feel ashamed about it. You mean societally, mm -hmm. like in terms of like structure and systemic mm -hmm. support of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because I agree. Here in America, um, and I've, I've done like research on how other countries attack, tackle affordable housing. Mm -hmm. uh, have you ever like researched Vienna? So in Vienna, no. everybody—it's—it's it's kind of a mind-blowing experiment. But everybody 
in the country is, or everybody in the city of Vienna is allowed to live in affordable housing except for the top 5%. So what that means is everybody invests in it and cares about the the quality of their affordable housing because everybody lives in it. It's not just, you know, poor people. It's, I mean, you can literally be almost nearly a millionaire and live in in affordable housing in Vienna. So they have beautiful, amazing affordable housing. They have swimming pools. They have amazing gardens everywhere. And the reason why I think that is because rather than seeing it as a welfare or a burden on the state, it's actually seen as a quality of life issue. Absolutely. It's all about procession. And um, here in America, we see it as like, oh, it's just, you know, for the poor people and they're – it's temporary and whatnot. But I think if, and this is going to be an increasing issue as cities expand and more people move to cities to f- seek employment, it's going to get even worse because obviously housing rates are going to go up. So I think. As they have been this year, almost exactly, by 30%, I believe. Exactly. And wages aren't keeping up with nope. pace. So right. it's going to get to a point where more people are going to be seeking um, housing assistance, mm-hmm. rent assistance, and they don't know where to go to because. Nine times out of ten, they haven't been in that predicament. Right. Um, and the, the what is it, land is, isn't allotted for, mm-hmm. um, all, like, certain land is only allotted, like, in the suburbs is only allotted for, like, house, single home mm-hmm. ownership as opposed to multifamily or structures that can mm-hmm. accommodate um, more people um, mm-hmm. in less space. Exactly. It's so many, like... Strings and and whatnot to attach when when you're dealing with like housing, urban development, and right. city, and it gets very complicated. <laughs> but yeah, and I'll you know, and some racism. I would think in terms of urban planning has you know has really been mm-hmm. has helped to segregate even further. Yeah, um, to yeah. bring that up. What, but, what's interesting about that is. Um, when it comes to segregation, um, I, I read a study that said that um, we're at levels of segregation that's worse than the 1960s, which blew my mind because, like, we have we progressed a lot since then. But it's it's not segregation by laws like Jim Crow. Right. But almost like um, self-imposed segregation. Um, people are moving out of neighborhoods where uh, minority communities are starting to integrate. Um, and it's, it's more of a self uh, segregation. So it's very interesting to see the psychology of it. Um, yeah. And then that's why you're seeing like devalue in homing uh, or in homes mm-hmm. and then businesses leave it out um, and then schools being defunded. And it's a whole situation, but. Um, yeah, it's so complex. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist, but like that's something I would like to look at. And it's like, how does that work out? And how does that affect neighborhoods and affect the minds of people. It, Absolutely. It blows my mind. Me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I just know like top tiny iceberg tip mm-hmm. of it when so much is underneath the water. <laughs> exactly. It's a whole. If, if that makes sense at all. <laughs> it's like trident gum. It's just like, it's layers and layers. <laughs> <laughs> Plug. Yeah. I, like I that mean, gum, so Vienna, try it out. that Vienna sounds amazing. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. I mean, to have that sort of perspective on your community and mm-hmm. respect and um, support um, and engagement in in the daily life of your fellow human being mm-hmm. is a really beautiful thing and not the 
attitude of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah. you know, which I think is prevalent in in America, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, when no one really does that, it's mm-hmm. so we I haven't talked to anyone that has been successful that um, or not successful that hasn't had help mm-hmm. um, and support from either small community areas or people in their lives somehow along the way that has Mm -hmm. have given them something yeah i mean i think um that's also a very unique american thing too is the the hyper individualism yeah in, in which people feel that they've gotten to the place that they've gotten only because of their own work ethic or right but it takes a lot i mean it it you don't think about it, but the roads that we have are paid for community in a community sense collectively. How are you going to be? Yeah, exactly. How are you going to be successful if you don't have roads to drive on? Are right. You take a horse. I mean, that's. Right. I mean, <laughs> I know. I mean, there's, there's so many aspects that make a person successful that we don't think about every day. Right. I mean, schooling um, is usually collectively uh, funded. Um, right. Public schooling. Yeah. Public mm-hmm. schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and it can come down to even smaller things. I mean, if you go to your local Boys and Girls Club, so many people had to put money into that Boys and Girls Club to make it happen. And maybe somebody from going there got impacted from going there and and learned some successful traits. I mean, but we don't think about this every day. I think the sense of community has kind of been lost upon us because we have been hyper individualized in in a sense. But I think the way we break that is is. I mean, it, it's been done here in Sheboygan. We have like um, we have like neighborhood associations mm-hmm. because they understand that if they want to get things done and work with the city, then it is going to take a community voice. Right. Because if one person comes to an alder or or a mayor and say, "Hey, I want this fixed in my neighborhood," they're going to be like, "There's just one person. Like, go away." <laughs> right. It's like yep. come back to me when there's like serious people. Uh, collectively talking about this. Absolutely. Uh, right. And, and once you get a neighborhood association saying, hey, we want a garbage thing, disposal, whatever around here, bring it. Then the, then that's community-based organizing. Um, but I think that's the difference between, you know, Vienna and America is the, the, the sense of community and this, uh, the sense of in order to be successful, there has to be community engagement and, and uh, the community looking out for the well-being of the future generations. Yeah. Um, not to say we don't do that at all. I just think that um, we lack it in, in some areas that we, we definitely could be uh, picking up on it. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think so much of it also is done through religious organizations like the church or synagogue or mosque. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they would help each other, and that was the community. But because I mean, we've had such a shift in um, multiple religions, and you know, we're such a diverse community. Mm-hmm. How how do you feel comfortable connecting with people who may not be like you? Mm-hmm. And I think that's our like that's an important piece for me to try and I don't know, be a bridge within the community mm-hmm. to help find those ways to how do we do it if we're not going to the same church mm-hmm. and we're all not, you know, white Protestant or something, you know, like mm-hmm. how do we create those connections? Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, I, for me, that does fall under creativity mm-hmm. and thinking how how to, and how to create, mm-hmm. how to enact and and risk taking mm-hmm. these small little risks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you brought up a really good point there, and I think um, it's those little things, right? Like like religion. Yeah. We start to divide ourselves and say right. we have nothing in common with these people because of this one thing about them. Right. But once you get to start talking with people, you learn that you have more in common than you have in uncommon. Yeah. Um, and I learned that very fast. Uh, just kind of having conversations on knocking doors and part of organizing as, as work. And you, you start to see that, well, what are we divided about? You know, it's, it's because I think we, we harp on the negatives so much that mm-hmm. we forget that there's a lot of positives. Yeah. And negatives is just like, um, it's kind of like that bad tasting thing in your food. It stands out more, even if the overall food <laughs> right. is bad, you know? Yeah. It's going to stand out more and it's going to mess Why with you. Why am I eating crunchy like, rice? Exactly. Yeah, then you're not going to yeah. want to eat the rest of the meal because <laughs> you, you, your mind's already made up. It's sure. just like something else is not going to be right in here. But, you know, if you take a few extra bites, you're like, oh, it was just this one little bite. It's not, it wasn't that bad. And yeah. I think that's kind of how it is with like engaging with people and, and, you know, becoming friends with neighbors and people who have totally. different backgrounds. There was this great – so I used to teach preschool, and um, we used to really try uh, to have the kids taste a lot of different foods and, and taste mm-hmm. buds. And there was some study that you have to taste something like at least six times to mm-hmm. incorporate it into your like your taste bud I'm like, sorry, dictionary or whatever. Nope, sorry. <laughs> What's that? I say I can't do broccoli. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. I mean, you're always going to have aversions, <laughs> but like in mm-hmm. terms of like new tastes or flavors or spices or something like that, that that – you know, and I feel like it's very similar to mm-hmm. exposing um, exposing to other things, the other, you mm-hmm. know, to, and, and having conversations like what you did this morning and talking mm-hmm. with kids and um, and having that dialogue and opening it up and yeah. it changes everything. Yeah, I feel like that unless exposure. you're kind of that person, us our, our natural like human state is we don't like new things. Like yeah. we like our comfortability. Sure, we like feeling safe. And once you go out of that, I guess, safe space or whatever you want to yeah. call it, it feels awkward. Um, and, and you're like, ah, oh, this doesn't feel normal. But once you get used to it, you see that it's not as bad as what, you, what your mind is telling you because you're so used to one thing. Yeah. Like for me, I, I know I get into that. I'm not perfect. But like for me, I, I don't go to new restaurants because I'm like, I like the restaurants I go to. Right. Um, yeah. But once I try new restaurants, I'm like, I can't believe I haven't tried this place. Right. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just kind of like human nature not to be too explorative yeah. because we do get into our habits and, and feeling comfortable about things. Sure. Um, I think Piaget talked about um, um, disequil- the word disequilibrium mm-hmm. and change is whether it's for the good and it's going to benefit you or if it's negative and it's going to hurt you, mm-hmm. both cause a lot of stress. Because change is stressful. Mm-hmm. And I, I I always come back to that because it always just makes me I'm like, but you know it's going to be better for you. Yeah. But it's still it's going to be stressful. And exactly. you have to live with that uncomfortability that you're talking about. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's annoying because like um, once we get used to something, it's like, why do I have to do this? <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> like if you change like a program at work or something, everybody's like, I don't want to do this. And it's like, 
but it's going to make our work quicker. But yeah, but I'm so used to the old system. But right. It helps out. Man. And I'm sure you you guys have to do that with the library all the time. There's new technology that helps to work out. But there's a little bit of resistance in implementing new right. programs and yeah. change. And whenever you're implementing new whatever, it takes more energy to do mm-hmm. it. Right. It was harder for you to learn how to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it takes a little while to figure out all the elements of, of navigation. But then once you're going, it's not a problem at all. There's no stress to it. Exactly. It's that initial bump. Yeah. Change is weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really yeah. weird. But uh, I think I read something that said um, I read a lot of random stuff, but it said it, it takes 20 years for like society as a whole to get used to like a societal change wow i'm not talking about like an individual change like a societal change yeah and and to the point that they'll actually accept it so like even if like some type of legislation actually goes past society might not accept it for like years and years after it actually gets through i mean that's almost generational time mm-hmm. right yeah we're we're very slow moving in progress <laughs> as yeah. humans we're like uh and i wish we could yet. remember the the mistakes of our past too incorporate for the future yes uh i don't know i don't know why that is but for some reason we just don't like to discuss the bad things that happen in our society yeah it's like we want to put them in a box and not address them yeah but i feel like we have to address those things in 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 order to prevent them in the future um because then you're you might repeat it in the future because history repeats itself unfortunately yeah but I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, I think I'm different because I, I actually grew up and I enjoyed history class. I was like mm-hmm. one of those nerds. Um, like who enjoys history class, right? But um, I found out so much things from history class on like how we got to form as a nation with like Native American genocide and, and obviously like uh, racism here in America. But mm-hmm. if we don't talk about those things or address them, how are we supposed to bring them in the future? Because everybody knows genocide is bad, but if you don't teach that, um, who's going to stop the next crazy person from attempting it, right? Absolutely. Um, it's weird. Yep. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it's about that, yeah. Yeah. It's weird because... Um, like, I didn't used to, like, drink water at all when I was a kid. Like, I just like flavored drinks. But now I drink it, like, nonstop. It's kind of ridiculous. Ugh, I have to remind myself to drink water. I'm terrible about it. I drink it nonstop. It's kind of like a problem. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's good. I don't really understand the whole water thing at all. All right. Welcome back to In the Act. I'm Erica Hunsinger. We are here with Andre Walton. And we're talking about history and personal history and societal history and... um reflecting on like past to incorporate in the future. And I've, I've talked about this a little bit before, but I think like individually, um, which ties back to what we're talking about, I think earlier too, is that sometimes we don't want to talk about the ugly things or quote unquote bad things that happened in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, for whatever reasons it, you know, we were, I guess we had touched on the idea of shame, but I'm sure there's a whole host of other reasons. Mm -hmm. And there's such like a positive, you know, like don't think about the bad things, just think about the good things. And I really feel like to be whole, we need to, you know, we don't have to sit in the the difficult or hard or challenging or Mm -hmm. 
um, ugly things, but we do need to reflect on them so that we can implement and institute change for ourselves. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to think about it on the macro sense. Yeah. Because there's so much that entails and then you kind of become detached from it. So you're like, oh, that's American history and American past, but I had nothing to do with that, right? So right. it's kind of hard to understand and, and can take in on a macro sense, but everybody can, in my opinion, understand it from an individualistic sense. Absolutely. Like, okay, if I, I don't know, burn some food, right, then you're going to look back on that negative experience and see like, well, what can I do next time to make sure that I prevent that from happening? Right. That's looking back on your own history. Yes. And it's not, and I think there's not a, it is hard looking back at that negative stuff because you rather ignore it and, and focus on the happiness in your life because obviously we have a society where you probably work the majority of your life and you probably do all these things that take up so much of your time. So with yeah. our spare time, we want to focus on what makes us happy. Right. Um, and focusing on the negative when you have so much on your plate, it's just, it's just burdensome. Yeah. But I think it's important to f- be fulfilled and become a fulfilled person. Absolutely. Uh, because if you don't address those things, What's going to stop from making that happen again? Whether right. it's um, whether it's small as burning your food, or is it yeah. as large as getting into a car accident because you were texting and driving, right? Right, and that happens a lot. Um, yeah, but you know, most people who have those like detrimental experiences are going to look back on those and course correct and say. Well, I have to look back on that negative so I can make sure that I will never happen again. For example, my brother got into a car accident. Now, he drives a lot safer. Right. But if he never took that in and seen that as a negative and reflected on that, who's to say he went reckless drive and did something even worse or got into a worse accident? Right. Um, and, and I feel like if we can get people to understand that on an individualistic individualistic sense and take it to a macro level, then people will be less hesitant to to take it on as a societal issue. I agree. Um, yeah. But that's a hard, it's water, easier right? said than done. I know. <laughs> it is, but it, it does, you know, I do believe it does start with like the one person and mm-hmm. how that you, one person can make a difference and mm-hmm. that, you know, small changes can institute larger yeah. changes. It is a ripple in the water. And, yeah. And, and kind of going back to what we were talking about when it comes to shame, I think, we have to also, and this this comes from many sides because a lot of times, for example, uh, people of oppressed, for example, black people have been enslaved, they have been uh, marginalized. We tend to try to shame people into addressing these issues, and I think that actually hmm. does the negative of what we want to have the outcome. But I, I think if we address it as a conversation and address it as we just want to see an improvement uh, to yeah. avoid certain aspects of our uh, our society from happening again and not shaming people into our position. Right. We will be more inclined to having people empathize with us sure. because when you shame people, you're losing them because well, sure. they, nobody yep. likes to feel shame, right. right? They don't well, want to so feel much like anger it. behind it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> because if, if, if I go to a person and say your family enslaved my, my, my family. And as a result, you should feel bad about everything that you've done. The result is going to be like, you defensive. maybe some people will come to your side, but I think the majority of people are going to feel defensive. Like I had nothing to do with that. I've always been friends with people like you or X, Y, and Z. Right. But I think a better approach is trying to get empathy out of someone, saying, yeah. "Hey, this is my experience. This is what caused my family pain. 
And I just want to have a conversation with you. And this is why I think we should learn history about it to understand where we're coming from. Right. Um, and this this doesn't just go with this particular issue. This goes with, for example, political issues. Yeah. Because um, when you shame somebody, say, I need you to agree with me because uh, my side is right, then they're going to probably feel like you're attacking them personally. Um, yeah. But I think. That's another thing that's – I don't think it's unique to our society, but I think there's been no. a lot of conversation around it about, like, cancel culture, right? Yeah. Um, if you did something in your past that was not good, then you're automatically uh, kind of left out of the conversation, right? But everybody yeah. has done something stupid or said something stupid. I'm, I, I think it, it's kind of funny. It's kind of a funny story. Uh, you know how Facebook does the memories? Yeah. And I was saying some stupid, stupid stuff back in high school. And I'm like, <laughs> what made me say that? You know, and, and, and then I kind of imagine and take a step back and think like, oh, my goodness. If some people found these posts that I dumb posts that I made in high school, they would cancel me. And, I'm, and you know, it's just like, but I'm a very different person than I was in the, high school. I was mm-hmm. like what, 14, 15. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm going to say stupid stuff. But I think the difference is. Is that now everything is online. If you said those dumb things, you know, back in like 1990s and 80s and early 2000s, nobody would care because like it's not being posted. It's it's not permanent, you know, but now everything is permanent. And if somebody brings that up, you're automatically always going to be that way no matter who or what you've changed into at to this right. point. So there's an inflexibility that occurs within that. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think the problem with that is that you're saying if you if you harp on that and say like, oh, you should be shamed and feel bad about that, you don't give people room to grow. Yeah. Um, you're you're putting them into a condensed box and saying, well, this is who you are and this is who you are always going to be and you must atone for your sins, right? Right. <laughs> and then it becomes like a religious thing. Yeah. And then people retreat. But um, but who do you know that's not dynamic, right? That we exactly. are a constantly evolving body, human, that incorporates new experiences and we may be rigid in our thinking, but then, you know, something's going to happen along the way that's going to... Mm-hmm. Uh, break that titanic hull. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> um, it just will. Um, that rigidity isn't doesn't allow for growth and new movement. It yeah. it doesn't, but I think I think that's it's kind of a cultural aspect that um, that is is born out of kind of a social media culture. Yeah. Um, and and I think it it the negatives of it is that people don't see nuance anymore, and and that's a big issue yeah. because if you if you hear like a sound bite right and it's taken mm-hmm. out of context, mm-hmm. then you paint that person. And first impressions are a hell of a thing. Yeah, you paint that person um, as this one thing out of a sound bite, and you don't know their full work history. Yeah, um, that person can be a philanthropist. For the issue that you're outraged about, right? Right. Uh, they could have put money towards this situation, and we have to stop and think about what are the what are the the unintentional consequences that can happen. Sure. Be, because of that, because we reacted without thinking about it, does that person now retreat to a different side? Does that right. person stop funding that issue, or does that person go? into a darker place because of that. Right. Um, 
It's so yeah. – it's been such a weird thing to watch, like the huge supportive waves that happened for mm-hmm. maybe something that they didn't fully listen to the whole context mm-hmm. of or watch or understand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm it, sure I get caught up in, into it too. And oh, I, we all do. And I think that <laughs> – oh, totally. And, I, you know, to your point, you know, we all make mistakes, but um, – I think so. And it's just going to happen. I'm still mm-hmm. always, I'm, I'm going to have jerk moments like all the rest of my life. It's just who I am. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I think how I recover from them or what I do to help mend mm-hmm. or inform myself so that I don't do it in the same way again yeah. is important. Like that, how you respond to things mm-hmm. after you've done them or <laughs> exactly. is so important. I think that's yeah. what's more important. Um, I think we have to, as a society, give people room to grow. Because um, you, yeah. you understand that as a kid. Like, if you throw a tantrum or you be a little bit of a bully to a kid, you're like, oh, he's just a kid. He'll he'll grow out of it, right? But yeah. I think there's a sense as adults that we're, we should be perfectly formed human beings. But sure. that's just not true. Like, we're constantly right. changing and evolving. Yeah. And we're going to make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of mistakes. I mean... I've made so many mistakes to this point that I continue to be like, why am I in this position? Like, I'm a, I'm terrible, you know? And <laughs> But then when you step back, you're like, okay, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. Um, yeah. But I think what we as a society are getting away from that uh, aspect of growing and evolving as people, that if you don't grow and evolve at my time span or my time frame, mm-hmm. then you're not a good person. Um but I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think yeah. some people take a little bit longer. Um, some people are a little bit quicker to issues. Um, some mm-hmm. people are a little bit slower to issues. But I think if you're willing to be patient with people and have those conversations and understand their perspectives and where they come from, yeah, um, people can grow because nature is a hell of a thing. And it's 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 almost a sense of brainwashing, not intentionally. But if you grow up in a society or a community where something is believed is bad, mm-hmm. then you're obviously going to get to that point where it's hard to break that mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I know um, for uh, me growing up in a, in a majority black neighborhood, um, being uh, bisexual or homosexual was seen as unmanly. Mm-hmm. Um but what broke broke it for me is that I found out later on when I got older is that one of my brothers was uh, homosexual, bisexual. And you start to learn, like, wow, he's he's my brother. Mm-hmm. He's no different than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and you learn that there is no there is no standard of what should be known as manly. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you should be who you are. And that's. And that's who you are. And that's your standard. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that goes – I don't know how I got over here. But oh, I guess I that goes that. into, I like, it, us growing as people because yeah. I didn't – I guess going – I guess where my initial thought was with that is that I didn't in, initially have the stance of people are who they are. I felt, you know, kind of what I was taught in schools or mm-hmm. see on um, on TV – um, that you have to be super manly and lift weights and all this, you know. Right. But, you know, I, I grew as a person and it took time to uh, get to that position. But 
And love and relationships make such a difference. I it mean, does. it cha- it can change how you interact and flow through um, hardened ideals or um, I don't know what you call them, but um, mm-hmm. unchangeable or rules or. Um, uh, I think I know what words you're talking about, but I blank yeah. sometimes. Too. I don't know. I'm terrible <laughs> at words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, so for you, what were some of the things that allowed you for for change and growth within the? Yeah. I, so for me, um, like I said, uh, I did live in Seattle for eight years, um, and Seattle is a very, very different place than Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, and and what I learned, and it's very, it's a lot more integrated. Mm-hmm. Um, than the Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a very segregated city. I think one of the most in the country. Yeah. I learned that right away. It was a very culture shock. But um, I think that kind of upbringing helped me see other people's backgrounds mm-hmm. um, and understand that everything isn't like how it is at in my household. Yeah. So I went to spend nights over friends' house and, you know, they're Hispanic, Asian. And they have very different backgrounds, very different outlooks mm-hmm. on life. And it really kind of shaped how I think now that um, everybody's different. Everybody has a different way of thinking about life and and background. And for me, um, and obviously I just talked about my brother as well, that also helped as well. And for me, um, I I really start to see that even though we're very different in how we approach things sometimes – we have a lot of similarities because my friends, we all still enjoy video games. Yeah. <laughs> we all still were super into like race cars. We all liked, you know, pointing out cars on, on the street and saying like, that's going to be that car that we want when we grow up. So like yeah. going back to what we were talking about earlier, what kind of shaped me is to see that, yeah, there's a lot, there's different backgrounds, but we all at the end of the day kind of have a lot more similarities. And for me, I mean, I think that's where I, kind of like city politics since it's nonpartisan because uh, we can really go to people and talk about the issues and not come from it from like a partisan blinders. Um, Cause as soon as you start putting those labels on things and people shut off their brains really quick. And uh, for me, uh, I just enjoy learning the perspectives of people. I, I kind of see it as almost like a yeah. social experiment. Like how did they get to that point? How did right. they get here? I don't judge them, but that's a really hard yeah. place to get to. Oh, it's, 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 it, it wasn't <laughs> like know. overnight, that's for sure. I mean, I've definitely had those moments where I was just like, how can you think like this? Right, but, yeah. It, but there's no service in, in being mad about it. It doesn't do anything. You're just mad. You're I just going to always stay mad or always be mad. And I learned that wasn't productive. So I found it a lot more productive where uh, just, just seeing people's perspective uh, and having conversations with them, which is – Better than what I was doing, I can tell you that. <laughs> so this is our last segment of like 17 minutes. Yeah. Oh, I definitely want to talk about happiness. I know. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, like, good, 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 good. Okay. Um, and because you had said you want to talk about political engagement, mm-hmm. your inspirations and happiness. So mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you 
You get your voice, but yeah. hold on. Let me introduce and we'll go back in. Okay. Uh, welcome back to In the Act. I'm Eric Onsinger. We're here with Andre Walton. Thanks. Glad to be back. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I know that, you, I mean, uh, we're just covering so much. I'm sitting here feeling the weight of, of all the stuff that we're talking about. Um, and the, one of the things that you're also wanting to talk about is the importance of happiness. And mm-hmm. that feels like a buoy within the dialogue that we're having, I guess, yeah. in some ways. Yeah, I think so, because happiness is – there's no definition. There's, there's obviously a definition in the Webster or whatever, but there's no definition of what your happiness is or how you can find it. And, and, what, I, and yeah. what I learned is that – we have a lot of societal, um, what am I, a societal uh, things that are put upon us that we should do to obtain happiness, right? Yeah. We should go to school, be smart, uh, get an education, work a job, and, and be successful monetarily. Mm-hmm. But mon- money, in my opinion, is only a short-term happiness. Mm-hmm. It only gives you a boost of happiness because you, you're no longer worried about um, being homeless or, or Basic whatever. needs. Basic mm-hmm. needs, right? And and I think there's a lot of studies out there that money doesn't buy happiness. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you see like NFL players and, and rich people who are severely depressed. Yeah. Um, but I think the reason why that is because um, we have a hard time – find in happiness because we have societal burdens on us. Um, and, and I can completely understand that. We have to make sure we work a job. We have to take care of our families. So it's hard to pursue happiness. One of the things that are in the Constitution, that the pursuit of happiness, but there is rarely any time or, or space to pursue that goal of happiness. We have time to pursue uh, monetary gains, but how do we pursue happiness? And in my opinion, um, I think we just have to do what makes us happy. And I know that's very like unnuanced, but for example, um, I think, you know, we have to, for example, I enjoy playing games. Yeah. For some people, that may be considered a huge waste of time. Like, what are you benefiting from it? I'm benefiting my happiness. I enjoy doing it. Right. It may be a waste of time to you because you don't enjoy it, but I enjoy it. It makes me happy. So it's not a waste of time. Right. It's only a waste of time if I feel like I should be doing something else with my life. Sure. Um, or and, But I think that's where – I think I was talking about this to the students I was speaking with earlier a little bit about – the exploration, exploration of of students, um, in in some countries they give they don't give students homework because they want kids to explore life, enjoy themselves, and figure out what makes them happy, so that they can figure out what they want to do with their life. Yeah. Um, so they don't give homework. Instead, they they have like assignments, like okay, go enjoy this movie. What yeah. did you take away from it, and things like that. Um, but for me, I had a hard time enjoying or finding happiness growing up because I never got to explore that much. Yeah. You know, I, I never got to figure out if I like being into music. Right. Because, those options. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I never got to understand if I enjoyed, um, I don't know, like woodworking or whatever the case may be, because 
since since we kind of lived in that structure bubble, like, okay, we're going to school. After school, we're, we're playing basketball. You know, it was kind of put on upon me that I played basketball early on. But then I ended up joining, but that was right. kind of a right. – But not, not everybody does that. But um, I continue to ask myself, what if I had more time to explore uh, kind of what what can make me happy? Right. Um but and now, tied within yeah. that is like inspiration and creativity, exactly, right? Like, exactly. And and now as I gotten older, um, I put less burdens on myself to say that I need to do X, Y, and Z. I need to have a house bought. I need to have this amount of money to feel successful. Instead, I, I focus it on, okay, how do I find what makes me happy and pursue it from there? So for me, <sighs> I accidentally fell into organizing. I, I never... And that's what I end up makes me what makes me happy. I end up getting into organizing because I seen that improving the others' lives makes me happy. It's yeah. not money. Money has never. Everybody has a different, you know, kind of like what what drives them. But money doesn't drive me. But making seeing somebody's improved life or something that I help benefit someone else makes me sleep easier at night. And, and it makes me happy. Um, That's beautiful. So I think that going back to happiness, I think what we have to do is try to come from a place where we're not burdening young people with societal issues. Like you need to have this done. You have to have all your ducks in a row before you're 18 or after you're 18 so you can know what you want to major in and know what right. you want to. I went four years in, in college and. I went two years like with no major, and then the last two years I finally figured out. And guess what? I figured out I hated that. Right. And then I got a degree in it, <laughs> and I don't even do anything with it. So it's just like if I had more time to explore, maybe I would have found out what I wanted to do and not yeah. wasted all that money right. on something I don't even do at yeah. all. Um, and I think that's such a common thing for people. That mm-hmm. It's so relatable. And mm-hmm. from talking with people on this show, there's so many people who are like, well, I kind of fell into this other thing because I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then I liked the people that did the same thing. And so I just kind of went with that. It's, mm-hmm. it's um, following those inspired, uh, successful happy moments or something or really trying to tune into yourself is so important mm-hmm. i think is uh to to note what feels good to me mm-hmm. and even if it doesn't feel good to you like playing a game it feels mm-hmm. good to me yeah and i think one way we can possibly address that when it comes to happiness is obviously not putting too much burden on our children growing up but also just having yeah. like Obviously, field trips are a thing, but maybe having like um, like mentorship programs where you get to meet all these different people in different professions and see if that is something that you enjoy. Totally. Because I think I went to a – I finally went to a play for like the first time (laughs) in college. um, And I was blown away at how much I enjoyed that play. Yeah. And I'm like thinking in the back of my head, what if – I had gone to these when I was younger. What if I wanted mm. to go into stage acting? Because I enjoyed it so much, but it was amazing. But right. I was like, I'm I'm 21. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so yeah. It's too late for me. But but exposure it, and options yeah. and those. And, and seeing different aspects of life really can get you to a point where you're getting into something. Because I think what we 
we do as a lot as people, we work to live instead of live to work. Or no, I'm sorry. I think I said that. Backwards. Did you? We I know what you mean. live to work <laughs> instead of working to live. So that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I think that should be the reverse. We should work to live. Um because most of us, you know, we get our little weekends off, and but you know, what are we getting to explore? We're mostly kind of relaxing, or like uh, taking care of all the things that you couldn't exactly. get to in the work week, exactly. right? Like laundry and grocery shopping and all the little details to help you function for the week. Exactly. Like, where's the time for self and to? I mean, there's been such a shift in focus on how to how, to, mm-hmm. particularly during the pandemic, like our pleasure. Um, and connection um, has has changed so much. And mm-hmm. then how do we reinstitute new ways of being and mm-hmm. and finding uh, finding what does feel good? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And I think that that goes back to kind of how our society is structured. That um, we're kind of a, like work ethic centric society. And don't get me wrong, there's certain aspects of that that is valuable. But one of the things that I also figured out, like I watch the documentaries and read articles, is that even though we work a lot as Americans, uh, we do not have a higher productivity than countries that work less. Uh, Six-hour days. Exactly. Yeah. Some days, sometimes four-day weeks. And you're like, how is that possible? Here's a thought. A person or a worker... <laughs> who is more happy is going to be more productive. Yep. So they're going to get way more done ding, 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 than a person ding. who is like depressed about their job and they hate their lives. Right. Than somebody who works four days a week, they enjoy time with their family. Right. And they're enjoying life. Um, yeah. It, it, it's simple to understand. But I think here we come to the, the aspect of like we have to work to get things done. And, and what you do. <laughs> but yeah, right. you don't have to overly work. You don't right. have to burn yourself out to get things done. And how do uh, you manage it? What do you do that that? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm I'm in an extremely privileged position to be an, an executive director of a nonprofit. Um, but I have an extremely well balanced work balanced life. Um, I make my own schedule, but because. I make my own schedule and I have time to get done the other things that I care about. Um, I feel like I'm more productive at work. I get things done quicker. Right. So there's no like hourly thing <laughs> that I have to meet. I'm, I'm meeting like goals. Like a punch clock. Yeah, exactly. That, I'm right. meeting goals. So I'm in a very well-privileged position. Um, and I meditate. So that helps. <laughs> so Nice. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, How do you uh, meditate? Do you have a special spot? Can I ask about it? Yeah, yeah. So like <laughs> me, uh, I, I set my schedule every week. Um, and so I leave two hours for the most part at the end of the night uh, for two things. Um, one hour for watching anime because it's amazing. Cool. It's fun to watch. Um <laughs> So, yeah, that's fun. It, it makes me happy. It balances me out because after a long work day, I'm, I can chill and watch something stupid that I don't have to think about. Right. <laughs> and yeah. then the last hour, I can meditate and reflect on the day that I've had and let go of all the stress that I've been through for that day. And then I sleep good at night. Wow. And that helps me balance out so much. Um, so when you meditate, do you sit down in a 
on the floor? Do you yeah. are you in a chair? I it, guess it depends. How do on you my, set yourself up for that? It depends on my mood. So if okay. my back's hurting, I'm laying down. <laughs> right. Okay. But uh, yeah, like if 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 I'm in a good mood, yeah, I'll sit up. Uh, sometimes I'll sit on the floor because I feel a little bit more. Because um, having that back structure sometimes mm-hmm. is not good for my posture, so I'll sit sure. on the floor. But yeah, I'll I'll pick different rooms just so I can change up the yeah the feel. Um, and yeah, I just you know put on some some calm music and relax my mind and try to release all the stuff that I've been through uh, in that day. Because what I found out is that when I try to go to sleep and I don't do the, that, mm-hmm. all this stuff about what I could have done differently starts to come back in my mind. Like, oh, I should have gotcha. done that. I should have planned this. I should have. But if I do that an hour before and meditate and get it out of the way, I'm sleep like a baby. I'm not worried about that anymore. When you're meditating and you're going through the process, do you have the shoulds or do you just try and calm your mind, allowing the thoughts to come and acknowledging them and pushing them? Yeah. So meditation is about not punishing yourself. Your mind is going to drift. But what you have to do is take a breather and take yourself back to that state of calmness because your mind is going to drift. It's going to start thinking about things that you probably shouldn't be thinking about, Mm -hmm. but recognize that. Mm-hmm. And say, all right, bring yourself back, release it, and acknowledge that you had a slip and get back to your peaceful point. Because unless you're like a master at meditation, there's nobody who is just perfect at meditating right. um, or a guru or something. But I'm not that. But, yeah, for me, it's just about finding that peaceful point, acknowledging that I had a slip in my thought process, and then bringing myself back to center. Wow. Uh, and it takes a lot of breathing methods and all this good stuff. But yeah. Yeah, That's meditation has like almost like rebalanced my whole life. Um, I was I had a serious issue when I first got involved in politics with work life balance. Mm-hmm. I spent way too much time uh, continually thinking about politics, and as a result, I got burnt out. And yeah. I literally did not want to be a part of politics for like the next six months. Sure, um, but now that I found that kind of that balance, that and also just in life, don't punish yourself. Um, it's okay if you want to take a day off and not clean something because you've had a hard day or or you want to spend a, an hour on the game because your day was stressful. But don't punish yourself. Don't say you have to do X, Y, and Z by this time because it's there. Um, yeah. I think we, we, we're a little bit hard on ourselves as humans. Yeah. I think that we have to have everything right and perfect. But I think if – if we continue to tell ourselves that we're not perfect human beings and just all the only thing that, in my opinion, we can do is be better tomorrow. And if you don't punish yourself for that, I think that's how we become better people. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, that's beautiful. Yeah. I'd love that. I, it's not to hold on to that little yeah. nugget of truth, like self truth. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, mm-hmm. I think every, yeah. And people always Thank ask you. me if I'm like super spiritual or something. No, I'm not really super spiritual. I just like, I'm just trying to improve as a human being. Uh, and that's really how I think about it. You know what I mean, um, my girlfriend is super spiritual, so she likes doing all the, the readings and stuff like that. <laughs> but that's not me. I just like, you know, relaxing and chilling out my mind. <laughs> right. Um, well, that's a lovely, um, sort of ending to come to for our, our talk together. Yeah. This is great. 
<laughs> yeah, I like this. Yay. I know I can talk a lot, but you know. that's great. We can <laughs> do it again. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. We're if people want to get a hold of you though, um, or know more about what you're doing, how can they find you? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm very active on Facebook. Um, so I'm, I'm very open to having new people on Facebook. So I'm just Andre Walton on Facebook. Um, um, I also have a, a Twitter now. So it, nice. I don't have like a super public Twitter, but I have my campaign Twitter, which is Walton for Shaboy 10 um, on Twitter. And if people want to reach out to me through email, um, you can either find my city email on city website or you can just email my personal email, AndreWalton56 at gmail.com. Pretty responsive on there. Excellent. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm always open to conversations and people can reach out to me. That's so wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing so much and connecting about your life and mm -hmm. politics and individual and mm -hmm. the bounce through. So yeah. thanks so much. Thanks for letting me like <laughs> just talking. Yeah. It's yeah. fabulous. <laughs> it's amazing. I like talking. So. Yay. Well, it's great. Thanks <laughs> so much, Andre. Yeah. Thank you. In the Act is produced in the studios at Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. More information on the web at meadpl.org.